front of you. So Matthew chapter 21, and we're looking at the first 11 verses. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, let him... Let him uh, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, And Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is God's word. Thank you, uh, Dan, for reading God's word for us this morning. Friends, let's uh, come to our God in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that it is given by you for us. It is your precious word. And Lord, we pray that as we come under the teaching of your word, that you would bless the proclamation of this word. I pray this morning for myself that you would hide me, Lord, in the shadow of the cross, that you will be glorified in the preaching of your word, that your Holy Spirit will do a tremendous work in this place as we consider your son riding into Jerusalem with his eyes fixed upon the crucifixion. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, today is Palm Sunday. And uh, we celebrate Jesus' triumphal ride on a donkey into Jerusalem. Uh, Many churches celebrate Palm Sunday by waving palm branches. We don't uh, have them this morning here. don't have any branches around there. But um, they, they do that, their palm branches, to imitate the crowds that waved branches as Jesus made his way into Jerusalem. It was such a joyful occasion that the people cheered. They threw down their robes in front of Jesus in a show of honor and joy. They waved palm branches and cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now for the disciples, just think about these guys. Now they must have thought, boy, this is the high point of their time with Jesus. They may have thought, 
this. This is the moment that we have been waiting for. The moment has arrived. The people are ready to make Jesus their king. And we, us guys, we are going to reign with Jesus. Wow! The time has come. Well, they will be in for a surprise. You see, the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem is called, in our Bibles, the triumphal entry. Why is it called a triumphal entry? You see, the account of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem is recorded in all the Gospels. And the question for us this morning is, what is so significant about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem? Why is it so significant that all the Gospel writers make a note of this? Well, friends, this week, that is the, the week that Jesus entered Jerusalem, a number of things happened that brought the public ministry of Jesus to a glorious triumphal conclusion. A triumphant conclusion. Even in the midst of what seemed to be a defeat to those who were around and were looking at him. Having already done three years of public ministry, we now arrive at a time on a Sunday that sets the marker for the coming Sunday. And what's the coming Sunday, friends? Oh, Easter Sunday. You got your hot, hot cross buns? Be lining up your Easter eggs? Uh, I see some heads nodding. Right? It's Easter. So the, this sets the marker for Easter Sunday. And in our text today, Matthew 21, 1 to 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem in anticipation of his death. In anticipation of the most cruel death by crucifixion at the cross. His eyes, his determination, his mission has been set and his focus is now being narrowed down to this final most crucial week, I would say, in the history of the world. It was the week of weeks. Because from this point onwards, the mission of Jesus is taking shape and it's narrowing down to the purpose of his coming into the world. And so this will culminate, this, this will culminate with his crucifixion. Jesus enters the place of his destiny, Jerusalem. And this week will commence what is known as the Passion Week, which culminates at the cross. And so today I want to look at three aspects here in the text. One is the command. Secondly, we are going to look at the, the crowd. How did the crowd respond? And thirdly, uh, the question, who is this? Because the entire city was stirred up. And who is this guy, Jesus? That's the question that the crowds were also asking one another. So, let's look at uh, this command that we have here in 21 verses 1 to 4. You see, Jesus drew near to Jerusalem, the Bible tells us. He came to Bethpage, uh, to the Mount of Olives, a place where Jesus was all the time. And, and, And then Jesus sent down two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you. And immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. You see, normally, uh, Jesus traveled by foot. Normally. 
But this time he wanted a donkey. Have you asked yourself the question, why did he not ride a horse? Why did he not ride a horse? Uh, just think about it. If the, if the President of the United States was to come here, and he has been here, he wouldn't be riding a, a donkey. I wouldn't think so. When he comes, he comes with his limousine. The limousine, the, the U.S. President has a limousine, and it's called the Beast. It's actually called the Beast, because... And he's so powerful, he, he, he can basically control everything from that car, that limo. It's bulletproof, it's bombproof, it's everything proof. And he can control the world from that limo. Now, he wouldn't be riding down on a donkey. I, I wouldn't think so, anyway. Right. Why, why would Jesus ride on a donkey? Why, why did he not ride on a horse? Why did he not come, for example, on a Horse like that, a stallion, war horse. Now, friends, have you been on a horse? Have you ridden horses? Anyone? Well, I see a few hands going up. Well, I tried. Um, I tell you what, man, it's a challenge. <laughs> In the country when we were living, we had people who owned horses, and I thought, okay, let's go, galloping. We fall, and man, it's a challenge. All right. Why didn't Jesus ride on a beautiful horse? You see, it's a, the horse, I think, is a, it's a, uh, a beautiful animal. It is an animal that is usually associated with royalty and power. Uh, for example, in, in, in some countries in Europe, there are statues of horses in the cities symbolizing stately power and majesty. It conveys power. It conveys dignity. And the mode of transport usually gave away something about the person. And how he or she came into the city. A triumphal entry is compared to a victory parade. And in the ancient world, a triumphal entry took place when a king, when an emperor or general marched into the city after a battle was won. Or for a special occasion to commemorate a significant event. And they would march through the city gates in celebration. Take for example... Uh, the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin, in Germany. It's called the Arc de Triomphe. It stands to this day. It is one of the best known landmarks in Germany. Uh, we have Philip here, and he'll know that. He's from Germany, from Hamburg, right? And if you've seen this gate, right, the, the Brandenburg Gate uh, was, was topped off with a statue which is known as the Quadriga. And the quadriga depicted a statue of the goddess of victory driving a chariot which was pulled by four horses. It's a, it's a, it's a massive construction there. Quite an amazing date. And it depicted the statue of the goddess of victory driving a chariot pulled by four horses. And the statue remained in place for just over a decade before falling into the hands of Napoleon and his powerful army. And they took the quadriga and they kept it. They forgot about it, I think, for a while. And later, it was brought back into Germany and it was lifted up and placed on the ark, signifying the horses coming in power. Right in there. The four horses, the symbol of power, and the people who lie in the streets to welcome their conquering hero riding on a horse. But here in our text, Matthew 21, 
we see the opposite. Jesus entered on a colt, not a horse. He gave specific instructions to his disciples. He sends two disciples with a command, go and bring them, untie them and bring them. Friends, why a donkey? We'll answer that in a moment. So the disciples are to go, find a donkey and a colt with her. The animals will be in a specific place. Go and bring them. And that's what they did. If anyone asks you anything, just tell them the Lord needs them. How's that? eh? The Lord needs them, so he will give it to you. Well, Jesus wanted his disciples to use the word Lord to identify himself. They are to bring them to Jesus. He did not give the disciples an explanation as to why he needed them. And I wonder what went through the minds of these two disciples. Why would Jesus ask us to do this strange thing? Why would he ask us to do this strange thing to go and bring a donkey, a colt, with its mother? It sounds weird, isn't it? Sounds absolutely weird. Well, they did what Jesus said. Perhaps they asked each other, why would he want us to do this? The weird request. Now, we don't know, friends, whether Jesus had prearranged with the owner to borrow this colt and its mother. We don't know that. It could perhaps be that because Jesus is all-knowing, therefore he knew where the donkey and the colt could be found, and he instructed his disciples to go and get them, and that the owner would let them borrow the animals. And Matthew is the only gospel writer to mention the colt and the colt's mother. See, maybe Matthew wanted to make the point that the colt was not yet weaned from its mother, And as a young colt, it could have never been ridden before by anyone. And keeping the mother with the colt, perhaps, may have helped the colt to be calm. That's one commentator's view. Now, I don't know how that operates, but maybe the mother was there, and the colt was next to it, and the colt felt comfortable with the mother. (laughs) It's very possible. Now, friends... Kings did ride donkeys. If you look at the Bible, the donkeys are mentioned numerous times in the Old Testament. For example, when David appointed Solomon to be successor as the king of Israel, Solomon rode on David's donkey. 1 Kings chapter 1, 35. I'd like us to keep that in the back of our minds, okay? Please, for a moment. Uh, and the king said to them, this is what we read in 1 Kings chapter 1, 35. Take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and bring them down to Gihon. Think about that for a moment. And now, years later, Jesus, the king greater than Solomon, greater than David, was replicating what took place with David and Solomon. The Old Testament is clear on that point here. That the greater king has come. And the greater king is going to ride on a donkey. Replicating the fact that this is a bigger, a mightier king than Solomon. That's the first thing I think we should see here. And this was according to God's plan. And Matthew is particularly keen to point this out. And he does so specifically by referring to the Old Testament prophecy that we read 
as our first reading. What was the reading? Uh, come on. It's your turn. <laughs> Zechariah chapter 9. Alright? Zechariah chapter 9, the reading that we had this morning. Right. This took place to fulfill what the prophet, what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. How is he coming? In our text, Matthew chapter 21, Your king is coming mightier and powerful. No. Your king is coming. How is he coming? Matthew 21. Humble, right? Or gentle. Riding on a horse? No. He's riding on a... Mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And Matthew, Matthew is doing this so that he's making the point that Jesus was consciously fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. But Zechariah spoke hundreds of years ago, was now becoming an amazing, powerful reality. One greater than Solomon, one greater than David, one greater than every Old Testament king is coming and is riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey, and is fulfilling prophecy. Do you see the connection, friends? You see the timing, the timing of the events in Jerusalem was God's timing. It was God's planning right from the beginning. And here in Matthew 21, prophecy is being, what is it? Uh Being fulfilled. That's what we see here. And so Matthew quotes part of the prophecy here from Zechariah chapter 9. And this prophecy specifically mentions the king's arrival on a donkey. And notice what we have here in the text here in, in, in Matthew. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. How is he coming? What's this king? Righteous. That is holy. Set apart. The king is coming to you. And what is he bringing, friends? He's bringing salvation. How is he coming? On a horse? No, he's coming humble and mounted on a donkey. That's what we see. And so Matthew is saying, Rejoice! Rejoice. Now, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. You know, you know that song, right? We don't sing that anymore. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Now, I remember that. I used to, uh, you wouldn't believe this, but this is what I actually did. After I became a Christian, God did weird things in my life. I started playing guitar, and think that. And I used to stand in front of the entire Christian union of about 600 guys there. And I used to play the only chords I knew, I think C, G, and F or something, whatever it was. And I would stand there and say, rejoice. 
Weird stuff happens, you know, when you're converted. <laughs> the unthinkable takes place. A guy who can't sing, who's never stood in front of crowds, sings guitar and say, Rejoice in the Lord. Only chorus I probably knew in my life. Rejoice in the Lord. And I have to say to the people, Rejoice. You see, God is saying to his people, Rejoice. You see, think about it, friends. You see, our life can be so tough at times. It's so difficult at times. We may go through the real trials and the testings and the challenges and the, and the bouts of spiritual depression, anxiety and frustration and ups and downs. And yet God's word comes to us and says, Rejoice, my children. Rejoice. My king has come to you. I have sent my king to you. Rejoice. Salvation has come. Do you rejoice this morning? Hmm. What makes me come every Sunday here, all preachers with myself, where it is, occupies this pulpit. Sunday by Sunday, we may have a, a shocker of a week. I can't come up on Sunday morning and say, friends, by the way, I've had a shocking week this week, so there's no sermon. You might say, well, hallelujah to that. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Right? Uh, no, I don't think you would say that. I don't think so. We still have to turn up, whoever the preacher is, myself, John, whoever it is, rock up every Sunday and share God's word, because these, these truths make it possible for us, no matter what week we've had, because we rejoice in the salvation that is ours in the Lord. What a blessing that is, eh? And so Matthew quotes this. Jerusalem is to rejoice. They are to shout aloud. Notice that the king comes not in arrogance as a war hero, but he comes humbly or gently, a sign of peace and humility. And if you look carefully, friends, in Zechariah chapter 9, you'll see in Zechariah chapter 9, 10b, a very uh, uh, powerful statement there, that this king will rule, says Zechariah, and he shall speak peace to the nations, and his rule shall be from, Zechariah chapter 9, 10b, from sea to sea. Now, what is the sea to sea? <laughs> Do you know where it begins? Do you know where the sea ends? No, it's telling us complete, complete authority, complete power is in this king who will rule from sea to sea. And now in God's timing, this king comes. The Israelites understood this to be the prophecy concerning the Messiah. And so for years the people waited and waited for the arrival of this king. And now that moment had come when the king would ride into Jerusalem on a colt. And the disciples did what Jesus did. And they came along, they got the colt, and Jesus rode into Jerusalem. He's, you see, this is interesting as well. As I was looking at the passage, Jesus had to borrow this cult. I, I, I sat there thinking, this is quite amazing, isn't it? You know, the Bible tells us that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the whole world. The entire world is his. When we, you and I buy a property or something, we get a deed, right? And it says, this block of land is mine. It's a little, it's only a piece of dirt at the end of the day. This block is mine and it's only there for that time. And I think about God, he owns the, the entire world. Everything is is, And yet, he had to borrow. 
a cold. It's, it's, quite, it's an irony, isn't it? So you see, this, this, this animal, this donkey was signified by... Uh, the, the donkey was also an animal that signified uh, nobility as well as humility. And so Jesus rides humbly, reminds us of his birth. Jesus was not born in a five-star maternity ward, was he? No. But in a lowly stable, in humble circumstances, with smelly animals in a stable. Humble. And now the king, the Messiah, openly rides into his city, Jerusalem. And the crowd, what did the crowd do, friends? The crowd, the most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches. That's how they responded to this Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Massive crowds turned up to see Jesus. There were people who were going before him. There were people who were following him. And they saw Jesus riding this colt. Just try and picture the scene. Jesus on a colt. The mother is next to it and is coming in. And the crowds are putting all these clothes. The anticipation, the excitement. You see, there would have been children in the crowd. And imagine the excitement for them. Have you ever gone to see uh, 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 your hero or some special person coming into the city of Melbourne? Maybe the queen was coming in. Did you stand in line to see your majesty? Maybe your favorite sporting hero came in there. And you were lined up to see when Australia won the World Cup, I mean, I was one of the guys there, standing there to see Glenn McGrath and all of these guys getting off their bus. I, whoa, even though you know, Sri Lanka lost, that's a different matter. But I was still there to cheer these guys and to see them. My heroes all uh, had Adam Gilchrist and Ricky Pontin and all of these guys. Whoa, whoa, this is great. I've also stood to see the parade, the victory parade when Geelong won the, 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 the footy cup. I was there as well, cheering. I might be crazy, but I thought, well, let's see these guys. You see, that's the point, isn't it? You get all caught up in anticipation, excitement here, and the people would have been so caught up. What a sight it must have been. And most of the crowd just want, let's say this as well. Most of the crowd here had just witnessed an amazing miracle by Jesus. In John chapter 11 and chapter 12, we have this account, this amazing account. We read in John chapter 11 and 12, the record that Jesus entered Jerusalem. But then we also see that the chief priest wanted to kill Jesus because he had just done a miracle. What was the miracle? When the large crowds, crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see who was it. Lazarus. Why? What's happened to Lazarus? Whom he had raised from the dead. And so the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death. As well because on account of him. And then, in John, John says this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And they, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We get the picture. The people had seen the miracle. They had seen Jesus. They had seen that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And now they are coming into Jerusalem saying, Wow, the king is coming in. The king has come. is riding on a donkey. And the chief priest did not want to see this. They did not want to see the rock star royal welcome to Jesus. And what did the crowds do, friends, in our text? The crowds that went before him. The crowds that followed him. They were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Friends, again, this is a messianic term. The psalmist says this, Psalm 118. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And why? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Who is the psalm referring to? Who is he referring to? Referring to Jesus. And so here the psalmist is saying, Jesus comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the name of the Lord. He is the one who has the power to bless us. And Jesus comes in the name of the Lord. That is, more than that, this Jesus comes in the name of the Lord because he is the Lord. And he is the Lord and he comes. And the crowds, they cry out, Hosanna. And that word Hosanna means save. Save now. And you see what's happening here, friends. It was more like a nationalistic cry. They acknowledged that Jesus was bringing salvation, but they had the wrong salvation in mind. Alright? They had the wrong salvation in mind. To the crowds, he was the one who could heal, raise people from the dead, feed the 5,000, do miracles. Well, wouldn't you want a king like that? Wouldn't you like to have a king who would come in our midst and say, Okay, you are healed. You want food? I'll give you bread. You want health? I will bless you. You want power? Well, come to me. That's the type of king that they were looking for. And the people were waiting for a king who would come and get rid of the Romans who had occupied Jerusalem. So they cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. It's a definite messianic title. And yet again to them, he was like David. One who would be like David, a warrior king. One who would fight. One who would destroy their enemies. One who would liberate Israel from Roman oppression. What a moment this would be. Hosanna to the son of David. No wonder they cried, save us now. Get rid of the Romans. Establish a new place. Free us. Do you see that? How misguided. See, this is the Messiah. This is the King. This is the watershed moment for Jesus. And indeed, in redemptive history, Jesus entered Jerusalem, the ancient capital of God's people, and he was openly proclaimed as Messiah by the crowds. Verse 10, when he entered... Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth. The entire city was stirred. And they were asking the question, Who is this? Note the answer, friends, in our text. This is a, what's the text say? This is the prophet Jesus. From Nazareth of Galilee. I'll ask you a question now. You think about this. Uh, is, is, that, is that answer correct? <laughs> do you think so? What do you think of that answer? This is the prophet. Right? Jesus 
from Nazareth of Galilee? Do you think that the answer was complete? What do you think? <laughs> Alright. Why was it not complete? Why was it not really not accurate? Well, in a sense, that's correct, isn't it? Jesus is a prophet. But they had missed the point here. See, they were misguided. The sad part is that many of them did not recognize Jesus as he was and is, and that is the Son of God, who has come in the flesh. The incarnate Word of God. So they stop short and they say, though this is the prophet who has come from Nazareth of Galilee. And so they miss the point. Sadly, there may be people even in the church who may miss the point of who Jesus is. He's a good man. He's a good teacher. He was a prophet. Uh, He was a man who gave us an example. Have you heard those those kind of things uh, out there in the public arena? Oh, Jesus, he was a good man. Is that all? No. Have you asked yourself the question, who is this Jesus? I'm seriously asking you the, the, the question. Have you really grappled with the question, who is this Jesus? I had to think about it. Because I, like I said, I've never heard so much about Jesus. I mean, when the gospel was shared with me, I had to sit back and ask the question, why would I put my faith in this person called Jesus? Who is he? Maybe there are someone, some seated here this morning who are contemplating that question and asking, who is this Jesus? Why should I follow Jesus? Why should I give my life to this man called Jesus? Who is he? You, I, I'm gonna, seriously, friends, this is the, your, your answer to this question is the most important one, I think. Who is this Jesus? Who is he to you? Is he just a teacher? Is he just a man? Is he just a good man? Is he just a historical figure? You see, Jesus entered Jerusalem as the Son of God, as the King who left the splendor of heaven and who came upon this earth and born in a humble stable and now rides on a humble, on a donkey, a sign of humility, going to the cross. The stage is set for the final events. Well, friends, when did this journey to Jerusalem actually begin? Began? Well, I think it began here. Genesis chapter 3, 15. Alright? That's what set the journey into Jerusalem. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And get this, the gospel was preached there. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The cross, the gospel is preached there. And the journey begins into Jerusalem, leading to the cross. Do you see that this morning? See, that journey has unfolded through 39 books of the Old Testament in the Bible. 
Then he came to the glorious moment of the incarnation. Then 30 years of Jesus' life and 3 years of public ministry, total 33 years. And now the week commences in Palm Sunday. is the greatest week in all of history. The week that changes the entire world as he gets on to the first day of that week. And as he arrives in Jerusalem, he is revealing that he has come to save his people from their sin. The journey of Jesus to Jerusalem was made to deliver us from the death march of sin. May refer to Matthew again, because Matthew connects the Old Testament many times. Matthew 1.20 and 21. Matthew 1.20 to 21. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. And that's the journey that Jesus makes into Jerusalem. What is sin? It is falling short of the glory of God. You see, friends, Jesus is more than a prophet. He came to save us from the death march of sin. And this triumphal entry leads to the cross of crucifixion, the cross of humiliation, as well as victory. This week will lead to Good Friday. This week will also lead to Easter the resurrection from the dead. The week of weeks. Friends, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Luke tells us in, this, in his account of Jesus entering to Jerusalem, that when Jesus saw the city of Jerusalem, what happened? He, he wept. Why, why did he weep? Why did he weep when he saw the city as he came in? He saw their un he felt for this city friends for a moment think about our own city the city of Melbourne the most they say the most livable city in the world and yet it is a city that needs to hear the good news of the gospel it needs to hear the good news of Good Friday and Easter it needs to hear the real meaning and message of Good Friday my question to us is to those who know Christ do we weep for the lost? Do we? Do we care? Well, this morning, take the opportunity to share Jesus and his message of hope. You see, the king rides into the city, but the people were misguided about this king. And later, their cries of Hosanna turned to, what is it? A week later, crucify him. Crucify him. You see, friends, Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a colt, a donkey. But a day is coming when he will come riding 